0: He, um, we're, we're continuing through the book of Romans. And uh, we are a church that, in everything we do, we want to make much of Jesus. And that means when we gather on a Sunday morning, we, we, we sing songs, not just about God, but to God. And uh, we, I mean, you could see the, the, the lyrics that are up there. We're singing about this great Jesus that is our Savior. And when we gather together and we have community together and we we you know encourage one another and we pray for one another and we sometimes we hug each other and sometimes we listen to each other's stories that have uh, been hardship during the week or sometimes we celebrate the things that God has done among us and that's not because we're trying to just build a nice group of people who like each other and have all things in common because we all dress the same, eat the same stuff, and you know all that. No, it's because we want to make much of Jesus together. Jesus is the center of what we do. When we get together in our community groups through the week, we want to make much of Jesus together. When we go out and leave these these doors this morning and go back to our workplaces and spend time with our families and parent our kids and do all the things like going to the grocery store and all that, all all of our life we want to make much of Jesus and. One of the way that works out for us here on a Sunday morning is we systematically go through Scripture, and uh, we even don't skip over the hard parts. And uh, this morning is one of those hard parts of Scripture. Um, if, you, if you know the book of Romans, you may know where we're going to end up this morning. It's Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read the tail end of Romans chapter 8. And here's what I'm asking of you this morning. Uh, Jeff Collins is not in here this morning, so I can say this without being made fun of, uh, is I'm asking you to turn off your inward lawyer this morning. Okay, what does that mean? We have these little inward lawyers in our hearts, uh, and the inward lawyer is the voice in our head or in our heart that says, I don't like that, I object, and I don't want to believe that and uh, so I'm asking you this morning by the grace of God it's not my words that I want you to believe my heart for us as a church is to understand scripture and to apply scripture and and I don't know if you were here a couple weeks ago I said I have a little secret motivation is that I want us all to understand the gospel and apply the gospel to our lives And so the things that are going to be said this morning, I am going to um, try my best (laughs) to help us understand what I think the scriptures say. And I understand that in this room there are different understandings and different opinions. And guess what? That's all right. It's totally okay. And so Uh, What I'm not saying this morning is meant to, one, be polarizing, or to say, if you don't understand Scripture in a particular way that I have come to a conclusion to this morning, I'm not saying you have no part... Like, that's totally fine. It shouldn't be a thing that divides us or causes us to walk in separate directions. These truths in here, we can totally disagree on these things and still make much of Jesus together, okay? So my encouragement to us this morning is, can I just say, "As your pastor, can I have a little grace this morning?" all right? And a uh, Frank, I need a lot of amens." all right? Even if you don't really believe it, okay? I, I need somebody to give me an amen this morning. All right Now, let me, let me preface with, with an illustration. You know, Asia and I were talking this morning. We, we, I have the privilege on Sunday mornings when Asia leads worship, we, we get here a little early and every once in a while, we get these little cameo conversations together in the car, and I was telling her, babe, I'm, I'm so nervous this morning. I just, you know, like this, I've been wrestling through this text, and she's like, okay, dad, she's encouraged me, and, and I think it was maybe the leading of the Holy Spirit in that conversation kind of helped me with an illustration this morning, um, and I'm, I would love to use this illustration somewhere in a point that would really hit home, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, but I'm going to risk just starting off with an illustration this morning. And I I have maybe a below average to average skill when it comes to house things, building things, construction work. When I was a teenager, uh, Marianne's uncle hired me for a year to do construction work and you know we went after the Northridge earthquake we went and helped a lot of homes and rebuilt it and so I got some general knowledge but if you were to ask me to build a house from scratch it would be a disaster. It it would I mean it, it it would last maybe I could probably finagle some way to make it stand up straight and You know, you don't freak out when you walk through the door that you're going to fall through the hole or anything like that. It may look good for a moment, but I know if I built a house and a storm came or wind blew, a bird landed on it for any kind of reason, it would probably topple and fall to the ground. Now, if I, in my own ability, would not put my trust in myself, I have to go to somebody who knows what they're doing. And I would have to say, hey, I need to hire and pay a contractor, a, a, a godly contractor, who's going to, f- if you're a contractor here this morning, we love you so much. Um, but somebody who, I'm not going to just give a deposit and they're going to do half the work and then I have to follow up with, somebody who I know is trustworthy, somebody who I know knows what they are doing, so they're going to lay the con- concrete foundation, the pillars are going to go deep the the pillars and the beams that hold up the walls they're not going to fall down they're not it's not the wrong wood it's not the wrong measurements it's everything is perfect so i know that at night when the storm comes and they will come i'm not laying there at night going freaking out please god i hope that this somehow holds together i have a confidence knowing that the the master builder, the one who knows everything about the home, how it should be built, every nook and cranny of it, designed it perfectly. And if he's the one who did it, this guy I hired, then I can go to bed and just go, why am I saying that this morning? We're going to talk about salvation this morning. And my goal for us as a church is for us to have a lofty, And a high view, a godly view of salvation. What does that mean? It means that just like this illustration, when it comes to our salvation in God, it's God who did the work. It's God who saves. It's God who went before us and picked us and said, I'm going to pull you out of this situation that you're in in a sinful situation. And, and, and the fact is that you have no ability on your own power, or your own strength to save yourself, to build your own home of salvation, so to speak. And me and my love and my kindness, this is God speaking to us, I'm going to pull you out of that situation and I'm going to build a salvation for you that is imperishable, as Peter says. That is neither moth or rust. Can take away from us. And so for us, I'm I'm wanting us to get to a conclusion. I'm spoiling it for you this morning. I'm wanting us to get to the conclusion, and really my goal is that we would revel, you know what I'm talking about? That we would rejoice, that we would be so excited about the salvation that we have received, because in our own ability, the house that we would build would just fall down. But God and His love And his mercy for us built us a house of salvation that no matter what storm comes, no matter what wind blows, no matter how heavy the bird is that lands on the apex of our roof, nothing will happen to that salvation. And so that's where we're headed to this morning. You guys with me? All right. So let's get to our text. (laughs) Bum, bum, bum. Romans 8. Verse 28, and this is where we're going to start. This is what Paul encourages us who have put our hope and faith in Jesus. He says this, and you may be able to quote this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You ever heard that verse before? If you've been in church for maybe one minute, uh, you've heard that verse. And we love to quote this portion of Scripture, especially in times where we are faced with adversity, especially in times where uh, it feels like all hell is breaking loose, especially in times when there is hardship in our life. We go to Romans 8.28 and we quote it over ourselves, and it's a band-aid, it's a fix-all for everything in our lives. Then what we do is we skip verses 29 through 30, and then we jump down to 31. And then what we do is we like, we do this, we say, and we know that God, for those who love God, who works together all things for good, and we go down, and then we say this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen, yes! I would love, honestly, with everything (laughs) in me right now, I would love to just go, and amen, and goodbye. See you guys next week we don't have the freedom to do that. We have to look at these middle verses. And so what the temptation is for sometimes as Christians is we want to build a sandwich. We, we go to the word of God and we want to eat from it. We want to devour it. We want to apply it to our lives. We want the sustenance of the word of God. And so we want it to fill us and sustain us and we want to apply it. But the problem is if we only take Romans eight twenty eight and skip the two verses and then skip down, all we've done for ourselves is build a bread sandwich. And we have to look at the meat. We have to get the sustenance because the bread is just... You know, it's like the filler. It's, the, it's the, what looks appeasing. But when we bite into the meat, that's where we get the protein that our bodies so desperately need. And if you're on keto diet, I don't know what you do. You don't even do the bread. And I'm not saying we don't do the bread. We got to do the bread. If you're on keto, you're sinning, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, that was a joke. That was a joke. Don't, I don't want a bunch of emails later on. And, so... Let's 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 talk about this middle part here. And don't freak out. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to keep it together. Keep it together. All right, here it goes. Verse 29 through 30. This is what it says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he may be the firstborn among many brothers, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, oh, there it is again, he also called and those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. It's it's funny this week, I've had, not even this week, the past two weeks, I've had a lot of people um, come up to me and want to talk about predestination. It's really odd. Um, you, You know, like, Asia brought her friends over to my house, and one of of her friends was like, Hey, I mean, I'm just, I think it was Sunday night, I'm exhausted after church, you know, and I'm vegging out. I don't know what I was doing watching Netflix. I think it was like, my hair is like, you know, the more tired I get, the bigger my hair gets for some reason. It just kind of does this kind of thing. My hair is disheveled. There was probably bags under my eyes. I was sitting there Netflixing, and uh, she walks in, she goes, Okay, um, my friends have a question about predestination what okay no it's fine I love it I love it and so I'm sitting there and then and then uh, I think a couple weeks ago um, uh, this boy calls me on the phone from a restaurant and says hey I got a question about predestination right and I'm like what predestination like what is happening here and then um, I I call a friend and I'm trying to vet this I'm trying to say hey man how how does how do you understand this And, and, and you know this kind of thing he just laughs and he goes oh it's so funny this, this Sunday, my, the pastor just preached on Romans 8, 28 through 39, talking about predestination. So I was like, all right, God, you're up to something here. And so then, lo and behold, we get to this this morning. And, and again, I, I don't want us to get caught up in this, this buzzword, predestination. I don't want us to freak out about it either. Um, and so the goal this morning, again, is not for us to, like, well, what do you think about predestination? All right, well, you think this and I think that, and then we can't meet together. No, the goal, again, is for us to have a high and lofty view of salvation. Amen. But we can't ignore these words. Yeah. And so I, I want to try to help us to the best of my ability. What I, I think, I've been wrestling through this, and just how can this benefit us in understanding that salvation belongs to God? And so I want us to, let's let's just... Aim our sights high this morning, okay? And so, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in what we just read, everything is about him. Did you notice that? I mean, it says, he foreknew, he predestined, he conformed, he called, he justified, he glorified. Speaking of God. And when we read that first off the bat, we have to go, man, this is in spite of me. This is all about him. This is God's work. He's done this. He had mercy and grace upon me and he pulled me out of that miry clay. Even in spite of us knowing that, I think what we do to try to soften especially these two words about foreknowledge and predestination, we, we do two things. We, we say, one, Paul couldn't have meant exactly that was those words, right? Like foreknowing, he didn't really mean that. And when he says predestination, he doesn't really mean that. It's more like slang. It's more like, you know, this kind of different. I don't know about you, but every time I read anything from Paul, he doesn't slang. When, he's, when he says things like, you fools, he's not being like like gangster talk. Like, hey, what's up, fool? He's not doing that to his body. Or when he calls the Pharisees and the religious leaders, you dogs. He's not like, you're my dog. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, you dogs. And so when Paul says, "For new, predestined, that's what he's saying. The other thing we, we do often is to try to help us understand, is we say God chooses us on his foreknowledge of us choosing him. And I get that. I understand that. But I tend to believe that what that does is puts the merit of our salvation on us. What it does is say that we somehow were able to participate in our salvation even while we were sinners. And yes, we make choices. And yes, it requires faith and we respond. That's that's our role in salvation is to respond to the the calling of God. But to say that God bases our salvation somehow knowing that we would choose Him is not really, it feels like it doesn't fit in the way we should understand the gospel. It's in spite of the fact that we probably would never choose him, that he still reaches out and loves us. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9 says this, and it helps us give us a context of this. It says, by grace, you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And then we see again in Ephesians chapter one through. Verses 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. God had a plan for us. God chose us. You guys doing okay? <laughs> okay. Frank, you're not amening me enough over there, buddy. <laughs> okay. You know, we, there's this popular song going around in the church right now, The Reckless Love of God. And I, I particularly don't really like this song. It feels a little whiny to me. But if you like it, hey, go. you do you, boo. You know, kind of a thing. But I love the lyrics of it. And when I was reminded of this this week, I just wanted to share it with us. It says this, before, before, here's the key word, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. This is us to God. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. Anything in there that points to how we deserve God's salvation? And then this is the chorus. Oh, the overwhelming never ending, reckless love of God. What does it do? It chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Isn't that beautiful? In spite of our sin, in spite of our folly, in spite of us, God goes before us and extends his grace to us. Now, I know where you're going with this. If God foreknows and if he God predestines then do I make even real choices does it even matter right we, we, the, the, the temptation is to become feudalist where we just say it doesn't matter I can just live my life as I want it doesn't matter God's going to get his way in the end it doesn't matter no that's not true <laughs> we make real choices God is sovereign we make real choices how do those two meet I have no idea. (laughs) And some of the greatest theologians have no idea. Spurgeon said this, this is a long quote, and I put it up here, it's a good one though. If you can imagine an English accent. That God predestines and that man is responsible are two things that few can see. They are believed to be inconsistent and contradictory, but they are not. It is just the fault of our weak judgment. Two truths cannot be contradictory to each other. If then I find, taught in one place, that everything is foreordained, that is true. And if I find in another place that man is responsible for all his actions, that is true. And it is my folly that leads me to imagine that two truths can ever contradict each other. These two truths, I do not believe, can ever be welded into one upon any human anvil, but one they shall be in eternity. They are two lines that are so nearly parallel that the mind that shall pursue them farthest will never discover that they can converge. But they do converge, and they will meet somewhere in eternity. Close to the throne of God, whence all truth doth spring. Charles Spurgeon. Isn't that good? So here's the freedom that we could just like take off of ourselves this morning. We don't have to have it all figured out. It doesn't mean we kiss our brains goodbye and go, I don't know, it's faith, you know, whatever, man. We do our best to understand the Word of God. But if anybody in this room thinks they's got it all figured out, please come talk to me. Please tell Spurgeon. You know, we love, we love the doctrine of adoption, don't we? We talked about that last week. We love it. Oh, I love that God loved me. I I love that God rescued me. I love that he put me in his family. We can't love adoption and not love election. This is what my friend Alan Frau says. If we believe in the gospel of adoption, that God becomes our father through Jesus, then we must believe in the gospel of election, that God chooses us In Jesus as mysterious as as that sounds children don't choose their adoptive parents parents choose the child they adopt now if you're starting to freak out if your inner lawyer is like on caffeine right now it's going to be okay You might even say this morning, you know what, that's not true of me. I've experienced that I responded to Christ. I was the one who took the initiative. And my encouragement to you this morning is, the beautiful thing is that even when we start to pursue God, it's really God who's the initiator in that. See, what God does is, it's, it's like, the, I'm going to go back to that dead engine. It takes a dead engine in a car. There's no ability in itself to turn itself over and start running. And he revives it. And you may find yourself like saying, I, I think I need to understand more about what it means to be a Christian. I, might f- I found myself wanting to respond to a sermon, or I've listened to a song, or somebody prayed for me, and all these kind of things. And it started to stir in me where I, I, I felt like I have a desire to start understanding God more, and I, I want to pursue him, and I, I want to seek God. And, My understanding of that is that's because God's seeking you. That's because God's reaching down to you and he's saying, I love you so much that I'm not going to allow you to stay in this sinful state unaware of my grace for you. I love you so much that I'm going to start to pour little nuggets of truth into your heart. And, 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 and as you start getting closer to these truths and nuggets, the more of me you're gonna see, and then as you start to see those things, I'm gonna pour even more truths, uh, nuggets of truth in your heart, and you're gonna like, start to build, and what often what we do, this is why we don't say, hey, you wanna come up to the front and commit your life to Jesus, and then you know what we do is we understand sometimes this is a process. Someone raised their hand last week and said, hey, I, I feel like I need to take the next step with understanding what Jesus, I spoke with that person afterward, and it, it seems like God's wooing and drawing them. But it doesn't seem like yet they've crossed the line of faith, but they, they seem like, I, I'm not sure I understand all this, but all I know is somehow, somewhere, it feels like I'm supposed to do something. And I would tell them, that's because God's reaching out to you. You don't have to have it all figured out yet. You don't have to know if you're a predestined. You don't have to know if you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. Nah, it doesn't say that in the Bible anywhere. All we got to know is it seems somehow that God is wooing and calling me. And our job is to respond and be obedient. That's That's it. All right? You guys doing okay? So, do we make real choices? Yes, we do make real choices. And let me just address one question before we move on. Because the inner lawyer would say this isn't fair how is it fair that God would choose me? Because the logical conclusion may be, if God chose me, maybe he didn't choose somebody else. How is that fair? And I would say, you don't want God to be fair. If God's fair, there's no one, no one who deserves God's grace. In God's fairness, what would happen? All of us would, re, would experience the wrath of God. And I don't, and I'm not saying don't ask that question, but I think a better question to ask is not why does God choose some, why in the world would God ever choose me? In spite of my sin, in spite of the fact that I don't deserve His grace. See, when we have this kind of appreciation, that kind of question, what it does is it should overwhelm our hearts with gratitude. And in spite of me not deserving God's grace, God beforehand went in front of me. And he chose me and he picked me and he sanctified me. And he called me and he justified me and he glorified me in spite of me, right? Right? oh boy well I'm going to skip something here I think we're getting the point I'm going to skip this I was going to really try to justify foreknowledge what it means <laughs> but I don't think we have time for that and so here's what I want us to do let's read Romans eight, thirty-one through 39 together can we do that? All right, I feel the love, guys. I'm feeling it. Doesn't seem like any grumpy faces in here. That's awesome. <laughs> Romans eight thirty-one through thirty-nine. That's what it says. What then shall we say to these things? What are these things? It's all these truths that God set us apart. He chose us. He did all this work in us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. All, who, uh, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died Jesus, our Lord. Paul gives us this assurance. And so here's what we're going to do in our last five minutes. I'm going to give us four things. I just want us to just talk about them. Well, no, I'm not wanting you to talk. Okay, I'll, I'll do the talking. We can talk about it afterwards, okay? Uh, but we're just going gonna to talk about these things here this morning, and we're going to look at these beautiful truths that have been given to us because of the work of God that's been done for us. And so let's, let's like, like, try to like wrap our minds around all this foreknowledge, all that language. All that, do, all that should do is point us to a gratitude which Paul summarizes us For us here at the end of this chapter, and he says, Hey, by the way, because this has been done for you on your behalf, in spite of your weakness, in spite of that, you are not a master builder, you have no idea how to build a home, and and, then what God did is He came and He built this home for you. Now you have this home that the, no storm can come against. It doesn't matter how windy it gets outside. It doesn't matter how many birds land on it. It doesn't matter how, many, how high the waters rise. None of that matters because you have a master builder. Let me explain to you now how to enjoy this home that you so live in, that's been built for you specifically, and this is what Paul does, okay? So let's go through these things. Number one, it says this in verse 31. 31 if God is for us, Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? These are rhetorical questions that Paul is giving us. He's not asking a question like, hey, uh, let's list all the people who can be against us. Because we could all raise our hands about all the things that are against us. Paul is not denying that we have realities in life that it feels like there are people against us, sin, death, the world tribulation, sorrow, suffering, broken relationships. I could, I'm not here to preach misery, but we could go down. It's always easy to point out the negatives, right? You know, if you're a teacher, you know, like you ask these kids to give you something and they're all going to, where do you go? It's easy to point out the negative stuff. We could do this all day. Paul's not asking us for a list of all the bad things that could potentially happen to us. What he's doing is rhetorically he's saying, if God, and this, here's the key of it, it's if God, and the truth is, yes, God, is for us, then who can be against us? In the light of the fact that it's he who chose us, conforms us, calls us, justifies us, glorifies us. That we can say this morning, if you have put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ, you can answer this rhetorical question and say, no one, no one. That should give us hope. That should freak us out in the best way. That when we walk out of these doors today, we can walk out with confidence saying that in spite of all the things that feel like are against me, and they are, they're trying to hit me, we, like Superman, so, so to speak, spiritually, all these bullets are hitting us and we're just walking through. Did we feel it? Yeah, I was aware that that happened, but my, I'm not putting my hope in whether that bullet will penetrate my suit. I'm putting my hope in the fact that I have a God who has shut me apart and is for me. And this God is not a weak God. This God is not a God who sometimes comes through. This God is not a God who sometimes keeps his promises. This God is not a God who said, when I give you this salvation, I will hold it together. It's a God who has promised and is faithful every single time. And his track record is 100%. So when he says, walk out the doors with confidence, knowing that I am for you, we say, nobody can be against me. Right? that's It's okay to get Pentecostal. It's all right. Paul also says this in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You ever fear? You ever feel anxious about your life? You ever sometimes wonder maybe where your next meal is going to come from or how you're going to pay your rent or your mortgage or your car that's breaking down. You ever feel afraid about tomorrow because you know you have a big test or an awkward conversation coming up or you know what? God knows about all that stuff. I was speaking with one of you last week, and, and, and Terry, I'm going to say your name. She says, you should ask me sometimes about the provision of God. I've seen over, I've seen over and over God come through. And she said, there'd be times where we had nothing in the cupboard, and we'd pray, literally, same day, somebody would roll up, have all this food for them, not knowing of the situation, just said, hey, we wanna bless you. And here Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now this verse is not specifically talking about things in the physical, it's also talking about all that we need to live this Christian life, salvation, all of it. But God sees even those things And the answer for us is, how do we know that God will come through? How do we know that God will make good on his promise? Jesus is the way that we know God will make good because Jesus didn't spare, or he spared his, he didn't spare his own life. He surrendered his life. He gave himself up freely, the ultimate act of showing that God is faithful and will give us anything we need. And so my friends, If you're having fear, if you're having doubt, maybe there's times where you wrestle with your own salvation. Did God even choose me? Did did this happen? What we need to do is there's a cross on the back of this room and we need to look at that cross and remind ourselves that Jesus willingly went to that cross and in that cross, he satisfied the answer of, God, will you provide for me all that I need? Spiritually, emotionally, physically, et cetera. I'll give you all I need. And there's the proof of it in the cross number three you guys doing okay I'm going to combine two things here together for sake of time who shall bring any charge against us in verse 33 against God's elect it's God who justifies and then verse 34 says who is to condemn Christ Jesus the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us This, friends, is probably one of the most important tenets that we need to understand here. If our justification is in any part hanging on the thread of our own work, the weight that that requires will break that thread every time. Justification, what does that mean? It means that we've been declared righteous. God the judge looks at us and he sees that we have sinned, but Jesus stands in our place and says, I'll take the punishment of that sin, I'll pay it in full, I'll do the work for him, and so then God overlooks our sin and he puts our sin upon Jesus. And Jesus not only takes the sin, he cleanses us from all sin. And he gives us his righteousness because He is God and God is holy. And so if we somehow are basing our justification, us being declared right before God, Anyway, on our own works, then that is a thin thread starting to unravel, pink, and it'll hit the bottom and crash and be destroyed. But when we put it on the firm foundation, which is the work of Christ, when Paul says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. We say, It's Jesus who did the work for me. My justification is held tight and whole. The other problem with this, it talks about condemnation. It's not only the people who say things, but our own hearts condemn us. I am so guilty of this. Who are you? Who do you think you are? How can you mess up? How can you sin? Aren't you a Christian? You're leading a church, for God's sake. You're a preacher. You knew all this stuff. How dare you? You must. You need to give up your job. Blah, blah blah. All these kind of things, accusations. My own heart says you're a horrible person. First John three twenty says, "Whenever our heart condemns us, which it will." God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. How can we say that with truth and confidence? It's because we know that God has done the work, not us. You know one of the beautiful things about this that says here is that Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus is constantly interceding. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. You know that Jesus still has holes in his hands? Jesus still has holes in his feet. Did you know that Jesus still has a pierced side where the Roman soldier thrust a sword in his side and the water gushed out, declaring that he was dead, that somehow the water and his blood had separated. and He still bears those scars. It's not like when he ascended, all of a sudden his body got all fixed up. Why does Jesus still bear those scars for us? Not that God needs reminding, not that the Father needs reminding, but I think what happens when Jesus intercedes and our condemning hearts or someone else condemns us or the enemy lies when us and says, are you really justified? Look how bad. What Jesus does is he goes, still got the holes, still got the pierced side. I will have these for eternity. So whenever you're tempted to listen to the enemy, whenever your own heart condemns you, whenever someone who says, you hypocritical Christian, You go, just, I need to look at Jesus and his pierced body and his wounds again. Jesus intercedes for us. And then the last one, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword, death, life, angels, really? Rulers, things present, anxiety, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation, what Paul says, none of that can separate us from the love of Christ. What does that mean? It means every aspect of our life. It means every fear. It means every failure, both past, present, and future. It means every outside force, spiritual, powerful forces that come against us who are way stronger than we are. Nothing, no one can separate us from the love of Christ. Why? Because God built the house. Because God did the work. Because God set the foundation. Because God put the windows in. They don't leak. You don't get a draft. The roof doesn't leak. The plumbing doesn't break. It's perfect. And when these things try to say, hey, I'm bigger than the foundation that God did, you just go, uh-uh. Nuh-uh. I don't believe it, tempted as I might, I don't believe it. You stand with me.